The Orange Yellow Diamond by J. S. Fletcher. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 30 The Mortuary. Melky, who had grown breathless in his efforts to carry out his companion's wishes, turned and looked at him with no attempt to conceal his wonder. So help me if you ain't a coolin', Mr. Eiscough, he exclaimed. Here you troubles to track a chap to this here underground railway, seen him pop into it like a rabbit into a hole, and lets him go? What did we follow up Gower Street for, just to see him set off for a ride? All right, my lad, repeated Eiscough. You don't quite understand our little ways. Wait here a minute. He drew one of his cards from his pocket, and carrying it into the booking office, exchanged a few words with the clerk at the window. Presently he rejoined Malky. He took a ticket for Whitechapel, remarked Eiskopf, as he strolled quietly up. Ah, now, what does a young Japanese medical student want going down that way at eleven o'clock at night? Something special, no doubt, Mr. Rubenstein. However, I'm going westward just now. Just going to have a look in at that great western hotel to see if Mr. Purdy heard anything from that American chap. And then I'm for home in bed. Like to come to the hotel with me? Strikes me we might as well make a night of it, remarked Malky, as they recrossed the road and sought a westbound train. We've had such an evening as I never expected. Mr. Eiskopf, when on earth is this going to come to something like a clearing up? Eiskopf settled himself in a corner of a smoking carriage and leaned back. My own opinion, he said, is that it's coming to an end. Tomorrow the news of the Chinaman's murder will be the talk of the town, and if that doesn't fetch Levendale out of whatever cranny he's crept into, hanged if I know what will. Ah, uh, you think that, do you? said Melky. But why should that news fetch him out? Don't know, replied Eiskopf, almost unconcernedly. But I'm almost certain that it will. You see, I think Levendale's looking for Chen Li. Now if Levendale hears that Chen Li's lying dead in our mortuary... What? See? Melky murmured that Mr. Eiskopf was a Cudan, and relapsed into thought until the train pulled up at Prayed Street. He followed the detective up the streets and across the road to the hotel, dumbly wondering how many times that day he had been in and about that quarter on this apparently interminable chase. He was getting dazed, but Eiskopf, who was still smoking the cigar which Yada had given him, strode along into the hotel entrance, apparently as fresh as paint. Purdy had a private sitting-room in connection with his bedroom, and there they found him and Lauriston, both smoking pipes and each evidently full of thought and speculation. They jumped to their feet as the detective entered. "'I say,' exclaimed Lauriston, "'is this true, this about the Chinese chap? Is it what they think at your police station, connected with the other affairs? We've been waiting, hoping you'd come in.' Ah, said Eiskopf, dropping into a chair. We've been pretty busy, me and Mr. Rubenstein there. We've had what you might call a pretty full evening's work of it. Yes, it's true enough, gentlemen. Another step in the ladder. Another brick in the building. We're getting on, Mr. Purdy. We're getting on. So you've been around to our place. They told you there. They gave us a mere outline, answered Purdy. Uh, just the bare facts. I suppose you've heard nothing of the other Chinamen. Not a circumstance as yet, said Eiskopf. But I'm in hopes. I've done a bit, I think, towards it, with Mr. Rubenstein's help, though he doesn't quite understand my methods. But you, gentlemen, I came in to hear if you'd anything to tell about Guyler. What did he think about what John Purvis had to tell us this afternoon? 
he wasn't surprised answered purdy uh, don't you remember that he assured us from the very start that diamonds would be found at the bottom of this but he surprised us hey how asked Iskoff. some news guyler swears that he saw stephen purvis this very morning replied purdy he's confident of it I saw stephen purvis this very morning exclaimed Iskoff. where now guyler had business down in the city in the far end of it said purdy he was crossing bishopsgate when he saw stephen purvis he says it was stephen purvis nothing can shake him he purvis was just turning the corner into a narrow alley running out of the street guyler rushed after him he'd disappeared guyler waited watching that alley he says like a cat watches a mouse hole and all in vain he watched for an hour it was no good pooh said Iskoff. if it was purvis he'd walk straight through that alley and gone out the other end no remarked loriston at least not according to guyler guyler says it was a long narrow alley purvis could have reached one end by the time he'd reached the other he says guyler that on each side of that alley there are suites of offices he reckoned there were a few hundred separate offices in the lot and that it would take him a week to make inquiry at the doors of each but he's certain that purvis disappeared into one block of them and dead certain that it was stephen purvis that he saw so purvis is alive where's the other purvis the farmer asked Iskoff. stopping with guyler at the great northern answered loriston we've all four been down in the city looking round this evening guyler and john purvis are going down again first thing in the morning john purvis of course is immensely relieved to know that guyler's certain about his brother i say do you know what guyler's theory is about that diamond of stevens no and what might mr guyler's theory be now mr loriston inquired the detective there's such a lot of ingenious theories about that one may as well try to take in another mr rubenstein there is wary about theories but melky was pricking his ears at the mere mention of anything relating to the diamond that's his chaff mr loriston he said never mind him what does guyler think well of course guyler doesn't know yet about the chinese development said loriston guyler thinks the robbery has been the work of a gang a clever lot of diamond thieves who knew about stephen purvis's find of the orange yellow thing and put in a lot of big work about getting it when he reached england and he believes that that gang has kidnapped levendale and that stephen purvis is working in secret to get at them that's guileless notion anyhow well said Iskoff, and there may be something in it for this search how do we know that at any rate one of these chinamen mayn't have had some connections with this gang you never know and to get a dead straight line at a thing's almost impossible however we've taken steps to have the news about the diamond and about this chen li appear in tomorrow morning's papers and if that doesn't rouse the whole town a tap at the door prefaced the entrance of a waiter who looked apologetically at its inmates I beg pardon gentlemen he said uh, mr Iskoff, gentlemen outside would like a word with you if you please sir Iskoff picked up his hat and walked out there waiting a little way down the corridor an impressive figure in his big black cloak and wide-brimmed hat stood dr mirandolet he strode forward as the detective advanced 
I heard you were here, so I came up, he said, leading Iskoff away. Look here, my friend. One of your people has told me of this affair at Maltino Lodge, the discovery of the Chinaman's dead body. That young fellow Rubinstein, who called on you early this evening, and got me to accompany him, discovered it, said Iskoff, who was wondering what the doctor was after. I was with him. I've heard, too, continued Mirandolet, also from one of your people, about the strange story of the diamond which came out this afternoon from the owner's brother. Now, I'll tell you why after. I want to see that dead Chinaman. I've a particular reason. Will you come with me to the mortuary? Iskoff's curiosity was aroused by Mirandolet's manner, and without going back to Purdy's room, he set out with him. Mirandolet remained strangely silent until they came to the street in which the mortuary stood. A strange and mysterious matter, this, my friend, he said. That little Rubinstein man might have had some curious premonition when he came to me tonight with his odd question about Chinese. Just what I said myself, doctor, agreed Iskoff. It did look as if he'd a sort of foreboding, eh? But, hello. He stopped short as a taxicab driven at a considerable speed came rushing down the street and passing them swiftly turned into the wider road beyond and the sudden exclamation was forced from his lips because it seemed to him that as the cab sped by they saw a yellow-hued face within it for the fraction of a second quick as that glimpse was Iskoff was still quicker as he glanced at the number on the back of the car and memorized it odd he muttered odd now i could have sworn he broke off and hurried after Mirandolet, who had stridden away. "'Here we are, doctor,' he said, as they came to the door of the mortuary. "'There's a man on night duty here, so there's no difficulty about getting in.' There was a drawing of bolts, a turning of keys. The door opened, and a man looked out, and seeing Iskoff and Dr. Mirandolet, admitted them into the ante-room and turned up the gas. "'We want to see that Chinaman, George,' said the detective. "'Shan't keep you long.' "'There's a young foreign doctor just been to see him, Mr. Iskoff,' said the man. "'He'd pass his car down the street. He hasn't been gone three minutes. "'Young Japanese. Brought your card with him.' Iskoff turned on the man as if he had given him the most startling news in the world. "'What?' he exclaimed. "'Japanese? Brought my card?' "'Showed me it as soon as he got here,' answered the attendant, surprised at Iskoff's amazement. "'Said you'd given it to him, so that he could call here and identify the body.' So, of course, I let him in. Iskoff opened his mouth in sheer amazement. But before he could get out a word, Mirandolet spoke, seizing the mortuary keeper by the arm in his eagerness. You let that man, a Japanese, see the dead Chinaman alone? He demanded. Why, of course, the attendant answered surly. He'd missed Iskoff's cards and... Mirandolet dropped the man's arm and threw up his own long white hands. Merciful powers he vociferated he's stolen the diamond end of chapter thirty